Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side, And from Atlanta, Georgia, I am Kurt Dupuy. I've brought this up before, but I describe the feeling, I felt it numerous times in my life, but I felt it before we started this podcast, where you kind of have a what you feel is a big idea and it's half-baked, it's not fully fleshed out, but you just take that leap. This interview was one of the many kind of rest areas on the highway of this experience where I felt like during this conversation, just stopped and be like, we're doing something cool here. Yeah. Have you gotten that sense at all? Yeah, yeah. It's happened a couple of times, but can I point out that I just really like the, is it metaphor? Is it story selling? You're painting a picture. I just want to tell you, I appreciate the way you're describing this. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. We had a half-baked idea and we knew there was something there. So we wanted to have someone on that could explore that with us. Right. And not only did we explore it, but it was like freaking Magellan. Like he was, you know, he, he was making new maps for things that we hadn't even thought about. So it's, this is an interesting topic to be sure it's applicable to be sure. But then my guy, Robbie really came through for us. So what the heck are we talking about? (laughs) We're talking about team culture and we're talking about that because side and I have engaged a number of folks in the community to do panel discussions. People were equating team relationship building, like going out to dinner once a month or something with culture. And I just don't think those two things are the same. So I thought we should explore it. And the guy that we're choosing to explore this with is my good personal friend, Robbie Reese. He runs a company called Lead Abroad, and he's done it for a dozen years, and he takes college kids overseas to do study abroad. So simple enough. But what's interesting is... Most of the people that work for him, that work at his organization, had the shared experience of going on one of these trips. They never leave. Like once people start working with him, they never leave. So his retention is incredibly high. And I just don't know if I've had more thoughtful conversations about leadership and business in general than I've had with with Robbie. So so I knew that we'd get some good nuggets out of this chat. And I'm I'm very happy to say that we were right. Yeah, he was terrific. And let us let me spend a few minutes here just kind of setting the stage on culture. I came across a really good article, Harvard Business Review, Leader's Guide to Corporate Culture, and they made some good points worth bringing up. First, if you just think about businesses broadly, there's a couple of major levers that you can pull, like two really, really big levers that you can pull. One is the strategy of a business. The other one is the culture of the business. And Peter Drucker, who is widely known and influential said culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you have these two big things, you know, one just really can ultimately be a lot more important than the other. But here's the challenge thing. And Kurt was alluding to this before. So we know culture is really important. Everyone agrees with that. But man, is it hard to figure out like how to shape it, how to get it right. I mean, when I was going through business school, like 
they talk about culture, but there was no books like how do you shape a culture? Like, what do you do? You how know, do you strategize on culture? They, they told stories about companies who had good cultures, but there really was no guidebook to this. And here's a quote from the, from the article I think is, is worth repeating. Executives are often confounded by culture because much of it is anchored in unspoken behaviors, mindsets, and social patterns. Many leaders either let it go unmanaged or relegate it to HR where it becomes a secondary concern for the business. This is a mistake because properly managed culture can help them achieve change and build organizations that will thrive in even the most trying times. And and I thought that was really compelling, but the bigger point here for, for you guys is you have a huge opportunity because the ability to shape culture at the organizational level, you know, think hundreds of thousands of people, really hard to do. I mean, there, there's studies that show humans struggle to be in sync with more than 150 people. So what happens in these big organizations is your culture is basically your boss and maybe your boss's boss and the people you work with. But the ability to do it at the team level, at the small team level is is much more possible. The, the other thing I think we'd be remiss to, to, to not bring up is Touchstone's culture. Yes. Right? Like we both embody. I think we both really like the culture that we have at Touchstone. I think it's yeah. fantastic. I mean, it's one of the best environments I've, I've, I don't, it's the best environment I've ever worked in. Yet, I don't know how much is intentional, how much has just been organic with some of the leaders that we have in place that have created that on like the sub 150 level, because, you know, our, our organization is not that big. But all that to say is our culture is palpable. It's visible. I often tap into that when I think of like how I'm doing my job. You know, when you appreciate and revere the people that you work for and that you work with, it, it makes you go that extra distance. It makes makes you want to just be part of something cool. And so that's that may be like the the, the flowery hippie version of of culture. No, but I I, I concur. Something real. You know, our old CEO Steve Graziano, and and this is not you know kissing up to him because he's long gone, and I certainly you know, didn't agree with him on everything that we did. But I used to just really compliment him. Like, how did you build a culture that was that was this good? Like, was it purposeful? Was it accidental? I actually, you know, would talk to him about that because again, it's it's such an important thing. It's like, how did we get to this point? And I think there are some things that he did that that are, you know, kind of encouraged where we are. Very, very flat management structure. Like to me, it's like the steeper that management structure is, like the worse the culture potentially can be. You know, he had a policy where it's like, I didn't care who you are, you could just walk into his office and shoot the stuff. And, and people like, did. And people yeah. did. And people they you took know, him up and on people it. always felt the ability to sort of share. Reflecting back, you know, there's definitely some takeaways for how Touchstone became, you know, the place that it is. But again, I, I go back to hard thing to do at that level, but in small teams, you know, you can put together a strategy. It can be potent. It can be yeah. potent. And and that's, I, I think we're still kind of tip of the iceberg with this. I think we're going to discuss this more and find more resources to, to throw at this topic to help educate ourselves and educate our, our clientele. But, um, so, so here are the takeaways. First of all, like Robbie gives a great tool that if you have zero culture, how over time can you develop that? And not from a top-down approach, but a very collaborative approach. We talk about just how to think about culture. So like less tactical, but just kind of how you should think about uh, developing it over time. And there's some really practical, just 
team building exercises, stuff that he does with his team that he is seeing very good ROI and helping develop and nourish those relationships within his organization. So there's sort of like big picture stuff, but also some very tactical stuff that that financial professionals can institute today. And one more thing before we move to the interview, you referenced Peter Drucker, like who who loves culture, loves talking about that. We'd also be remiss to, to mention Adam Grant, who's like this organizational psychologist, really big in the podcast world, written fantastic books. Here's a quote that I got from him on Twitter. That's just fantastic. Team culture. So again, team culture, not corporate culture. Team culture is created through the values we live, but it spreads through the stories we tell. Cultures are strengthened by stories of people exemplifying who we are today. Culture change can begin with stories of people modeling who we could be tomorrow. Fantastic. Those are the sort of nuggets he he hits you with on Twitter. Great follow if you're not already. If any of you out there that are listening have things you do to make your team culture better, we would love to hear about that. Yes. Email us at thewholetruth at touchstonefunds.com or email Kurt and I directly. We'd love to sort of start compiling those ideas. Yep. And as always, if you're listening to this, you must like the show at least a little bit. So hit uh, subscribe, tell your friends and write a review on on Apple Podcasts because it helps out the show. So without further ado, here's our interview with Robbie Reese from Lead Abroad. We have my good friend and team builder, Mr. Robbie Reese on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us, Robbie. Hey, thanks for having me, Kurt. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, going high level. Grew up in the Midwest. I'm a, I'm a Kentucky boy, just just south of Cincinnati. You know, got the got the southern itch. Wanted to go away to college. Ended up at UGA, and the the vortex that is Atlanta swept me in. I honestly wanted to go anywhere but Atlanta, but ended up here. Just took a really great opportunity with Ernst and Young straight out of school. I was a real estate and finance guy. And ended up doing some real estate consulting, uh, spent a couple years doing that, and then moved over to uh, real estate development, had just an amazing career building apartments here in Atlanta, and 2008 happened. And uh, for those of you that uh, remember it That was good for real estate, right? (laughs) It it was a pivotal time for for myself, both personally and professionally, and the industry completely crumbled, and... uh, it presented a really interesting vacuum, sort of like the one that we're living through right now, where everyone got to take a step back and re-envision kind of what they're doing, why they're doing it. And uh, for me, it, I, I had always loved to travel, and I thought about what the most amazing career I could have. And I thought, well, it'd be really amazing if I could be in a position where I was able to build a more meaningful career focused on college students and study abroad. And so we dove in, and 13, 14 years later, here we are. That's amazing. I'm jealous, envious of people that just decide to dive in and start a business. I'd say to myself, one day I'll do that, but I'm not as daring as you were. So congratulations on that. As Kurt was was saying, hey, we're bringing Robbie on. We want to talk culture. I started looking into your business. And what's the website? Let's let's plug that. What's your website? Yeah, it's uh, it's Lead Abroad. L e a d a b r o a d dot com. When you first open that up. You're just like hit in the face by 
by the passion, by the culture. I, I was just really struck by it, by what you guys got going on culturally. So maybe let's jump right into that aspect of it and, and talk about culture. Why was that important to you? I started off, you know, 120, 150,000 person, you know, behemoth of a company. Ernst & Young's a great company and they think about culture all the time. But you feel like a cog in a wheel and you what you recognize very quickly is the layers of hierarchy. But really, you know your immediate manager, you know his boss, and you know what's important to them. And I think the number one you know, thing about any job is do you like your boss? You know, they used to always ask us three questions every quarter. They'd say, do you like your boss? Do you have a friend at work? And do you feel engaged? And that was kind of the the really quick high level. That's the whole culture right there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in a nutshell. It's it's very simple. And you start to say like, look, you know, I don't like my boss and here are the reasons I don't like him. You know, I don't have a friend at work because I'm traveling 52 weeks a year and I don't know anyone and I'm not engaged because how do you engage across an entire organization? You start there, you start with what you don't like. And then when you have an opportunity to take the wheel, you start to build something that you really care about with people you care about. And there's a unique opportunity there. I, I think it's really important what you just said. Large companies, I mean, certainly there, there's cultures associated with that. The big tech companies come to mind. As an entrepreneur and for our audience that runs small teams, there's, a, there's an opportunity there to drive culture in a way where big organizations cannot. Absolutely. You know, the recognition that it, it can't just be a plaque on the wall. It can't just be words on a page. But Really thinking about how it can be your, you know, your your north star that guides the organization, that creates those guardrails for everything that everyone does and thinks and feels. To me, activating and using a company culture to drive performance and to drive outcomes is really where culture begins to take shape. And I think that small organizations really do have an incredible, incredible benefit. They have such such an opportunity to leverage a culture differently than large organizations do. And I think that's that's where I get excited each day is, is knowing that I can have those individual conversations and individual uh, relationships that uh, are going to drive outcomes. We're talking about the difference between organization culture and team culture. And one of the th reasons we, we wanted to talk with Robbie is because he runs a small team like most of our audience, like most of the financial right. professionals with which we work. Robbie, your team's a dozen or so? Yeah. Pre-COVID, we were up to about a dozen. And, and post-COVID, we're, we're in that like seven or so. We have a, a very similar size team to probably most a lot of your listeners. What's your definition of team culture? <laughs> really, it's it's a personality. It's when you get off that plane in Spain, you feel you feel you're in Spain. What, what what makes you feel that you're in Spain? It's it's the traditions. It's the it's the siestas. It's the way that they look and they feel and they talk. And these are all the things that activate a culture within a company. The shared language, the beliefs, the attitudes, the goals, and it's the ways of being that define a company. And that really make it stand out from every other company. And to me, those inputs create an output. So it signals to your team internally who you are. It signals to your customers who they are in relation to you and all of your other stakeholders. And it, it helps you become a great organization if you really crystallize that 
culture. It signals to everyone who you are and who you're not, which is really as important as the former. Yes. And it's that famous quote, you know, there's a couple of levers that you can pull as a business, one being strategy, one being culture and culture eats strategies lunch. So if you can get culture right, you know, it, it certainly can be in a competitive advantage for your, for your group or for your firm. Let's transition now into how you manage in culture. And this is the quote I came across. The best leaders we have observed are fully aware of the multiple cultures within which they are embedded, can sense when change is required, and can definitely definitely influence the process. When you were creating this culture, was it intentional? Did you say, hey, I want to shape it this way? Did it evolve naturally? Like, How much did you think through and try to take the wheel? Our company founding story, it, it, it's very unique, and it was, it was unique intentionally. But when we had this huge break in 2008, I mean, if you'll remember September of 2008, Bear Stearns Falls, that was Basically, a couple days after I and my three other founding team members had decided to jump on a plane, we landed in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. We decided to take a 100-day trip from Kenya to Cape Town. We knew we wanted to create a travel company. We knew we wanted to create it around these principles of leadership and education, around service, around adventure. And so what we decided to do, and and again, this this is an example that may be beyond what most organizations could or would want to do. But I think it provides an interesting reference point is that we took 100 days, traveled and lived the experience that we wanted to eventually create for students by serving in orphanages, by whitewater rafting the Nile River, by speaking in Kampala at a a university and traveling all the way down to Cape Town. And basically what we did is we built our culture every day through the things that we did and every evening through the conversations that we had with those founding members. And I think that extreme example can be brought home. It's just a series of shared experiences and shared conversations. And you don't have to start in a wild place like Nairobi, Kenya, to get around a table, to get around you know, a, a few meals, and to have those conversations that matter. It's the intentionality that really comes down to deciding who you want to be, who you want to bring on, and who you want uh, that organization to become. And I think those are what really shape an organization. When it comes to the intentionality of building your culture, I think that was that was the story we knew we wanted to create. We wanted people to know that if you interview with this organization, this is the level of intentionality they have. If you want to join us, participate in our mission, which is to lead transformative experiences, if you want to participate in that, know the level that we believe that this can be transformative because we lived it ourselves. And I think that authenticity rings through. And I don't think you can fake that. I don't think you can say culture is important today and we're going to live this way if you haven't lived it in the past. That authenticity, your, your, your team members, your customers, they feel that. They, they understand. There's almost no way to successfully engineer a culture from the top down. Is, is that, do you think that's accurate? Like it has to come from the bottom up, meaning everyone has to have those, to use your word, shared experiences or some sort of collaborative exercise where everyone's got buy-in. Because this is not like the Ten Commandments you post on the door, right? Am, am, am I thinking about that right? 
I, I think so, Kurt. I, I think that uh, the way that I think about it is that a, a company culture, it, it's not decided by anyone, but it is informed by everyone. And I think it, I think that it's dynamic, it's amorphous, and it's difficult to put your finger on what what a culture is. I think that's why we all have a hard time both defining and understanding it, but then creating it. But because it is amorphous, because it is dynamic, I think it does give us an entry point at any given time. If we haven't been intentional about creating that culture, you can begin today. And I think that's actually the exciting thing about culture is that you can start today creating what I would call guardrails because I, I think about, I tell, I tell our team members, I tell the parents of our customers, I'm not the police, but I like to create guardrails for our team members and for your daughters. And those guardrails are really meant to reinforce our priorities. It's really reinforce you know, our values and our mission. And those guardrails help us not to deviate from the path but it, it provides a lot, of, a lot of opportunity for you to inform that culture, for you to inform the lived experience. People feel when you're being dictatorial, when you are telling, when you're using command and control, but, but people really appreciate when you set direction, allow them to determine how they can get there, how they can have that autonomy to help create the culture. And so if it's a stagnant culture, one of which is top-down, it'll fall apart. That's, 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 that, that is not a strong foundation. And as you add people, you're going to find that they're not going to buy in in the same way that the others have. So it won't be, it, it won't be longstanding. I want to ask a question related to that. Talk about the lone wolf. So you've got a strong corporate culture, let's say, or team culture, and you've got somebody on the team who may be a good producer, may do his or her job really well but don't fit the culture or don't fit the primary strategy. How do you, how do you handle that? Do you just go, okay, it's okay if one person isn't, you know, simpatico with this, with this thing we built or is, or is it problematic? In other words, do you overlook it because they do good work? I, I think this is the existential crisis that a lot of leaders have. It's the quintessential rainmaker who, you know, is doing incredible performance wise, but because, or in spite of the fact that, that they're really hurting your culture. And so you do have to decide, you have to make some decisions. And I will tell you that that decision of how you handle that situation will signal to your team more than anything else you do. Yeah. And, and, and I have had to make that decision and that, and I will say that the culture became stronger subsequent to releasing that individual than any other single thing that I've ever done. Um, hiring for a cultural fit is really important, but firing for a cultural fit is, is much more important. That's and really I think that that is a very difficult thing to do. Finding a way to offboard that individual that is really upsetting the apple cart is it's, it's a very important thing. If you really care about company culture, I'm interested how you think about these two things working together. So there seems to be a couple of crucial elements here, something in the vein of a, of a mission statement, but also a word that I am shocked you haven't even used yet, values. And, and my only experience with this is when a year ago we started this podcast 
And Side and I went back and forth trying to develop a mission statement that really succinctly, because that's the challenge, like really succinctly describe what we were trying to do. And we would workshop this thing, you know, for 30 minutes, an hour. We think we have something great. And then like two weeks later, we think of something else. And so it was like constantly (laughs) evolving. But this is an order of operation question. Does the mission statement inform the values or do the values inform the mission statement together? I'll tell you our story because it, I think it is going to show you how difficult this, this is. We're going we're gonna to investigate this. We're going to see, we're going to actually embark upon an experiment, which was a year long. And it, w- it was a really trying year. But what we did was we said, look, every single week that we come together and have our team meeting, we are going to to highlight one individual on the team and we're going to we're going to celebrate them for something that we really value that they did. And then from that celebration, we are going to create a word cloud every day put 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 that celebratory word, whatever it is, was it trust, was it adventure, was it and let's put it on this chart and let's do this 52 times. And let's figure out who we really are, not who we think we are. And it was, it was actually a very eye-opening, but also humbling experience, as you can imagine, for someone who sat down and maybe spent days and months just, just thinking about these values and who we wanted to be to three years into this experiment say, look, I don't know if this was right. And by living out our values day on day, week on week, and just discovering who we were as a team and then creating our shared values. That to me was a very pivotal exercise and one that shaped the organization and know everyone knowing that they helped contribute to those, even if they weren't here at that time, that we listened, we processed, and we took the time to create values that everyone believed in. And one thing we continuously do at this point is in our team meetings, we still we, we say that we're going to you know live our vision through our values. And you take a value and you celebrate a team member. And so now we do it in inverse, but it reinforces the idea that those values are activated on a daily and weekly basis. And I think that's really important to figure out what are the mechanisms, what are the structures and the, and the tools you're going to put in place to reinforce and make important those values so that they don't become words on a page, that they truly are your North Star and your guiding principles. I think the journey of self-discovery, whether it's personal or within a within a culture, it, it should be a little scary. One of my favorite saying is the process is just as important as the results. And I think at the end of the day, the process that we went about to create those values, it, it did inform the overall result. And everyone looks to the result, but we all remember, we all celebrate the process. Yes, there was some risk therein in embarking on that exercise, but I think the risk of not taking that journey was much bigger. Not listening to our team, not recognizing that we are at conflict with our own values. I think if we didn't do that, I I don't think you and I would be talking here today because I don't think our organization would have had the strength from a foundational standpoint. So a a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, you guys tell me if I'm on base or off base, but in doing some research about this and talking to a a few other people, people tend to equate 
team building like exercises or like, you know, all going out to eat together or doing little like, like getaways as, as the culture, are, are we on the same page that those two things are not synonymous? Like one, one might inform the other one, one might build trust and allow you to do the other, but those two things are not the same. Yeah, I, I think you're hundred percent correct. The, the way I would think about it is simply from a strategy and tactics perspective, the, a tactic of team building is is a subset of your overall strategy, which is to create a strong uh, company culture. But team building, I, I do think that there is a, I think that some people, you know, really, they like to poo-poo the trust fall concept, right? I mean, yeah. everyone has seen yeah. those posters where people are in the woods and they're falling backwards. That, I mean, that has been, you know, that has been a, such a joke for so long but I do think shared experiences gets overlooked. And, and I think that creating those shared, shared experiences, it, it so much informs who your team is in relation and to the extent that they care about the relationships within the organization. I think that creates a really important piece of culture. But to your point, um, 100% agree, team building and company culture are distinct, though potentially connected uh, themes. You give us some examples of fun things that you guys have done outside of just traveling in Africa for a hundred days, yeah. more, more practical things that you've done with the team here locally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, I think there are what I would call the daily or weekly things. And then there's the, the special type of things. So we're always going to have Friday lunch together. We work at a, a company called giant worldwide and they just have a plethora of leadership tools that give us this shared language so that we can communicate really well. Um, and so we will reinforce those items. We'll reinforce our, our mission, our vision, our values. We'll celebrate our customers. And, and we just think that that's incredibly important to get that FaceTime and to have that on a consistent basis. Over the years, we've done things like we took the whole team down to Nicaragua for a week and we actually did uh, a service trip for a couple of days. And then we, the rest of the time, we decided uh, to go to rent a house on a beach and just kind of have some chill time. We told all of our team members after we met one of our sales goals one year to all show up. We sent them a text the night before. We said, you know, show up at the airport at 8 a.m. and we'll tell you where we're going. And then we all went down to New Orleans, you know, for the weekend. I think you need to have the very consistent and expected cultural signals. And then you need to have the opportunities where when something good happens, you need to reinforce it with a whole lot of dopamine. And you need to say, look, this was amazing. Let's celebrate <laughs> it. Let's reinforce it. And what are we going to do that busts the budget? And you just have to do that because if you don't, if you don't take that step back and let people know, like, look, when we do this, this leads to that, that simple connection reinforces culture so much. And so we look to kind of the the day to day, the week to week, and then and then the one off. And I think that really helps to, to help solidify and to lead to a good culture. That's amazing. And you answered my next question. So I'm going to take the opportunity to digress from this interview and ask you, with all the places that you've traveled, what's been the most interesting or your favorite? You know, I, I that that's tough. I'd say, you know, my favorite city is probably Cape Town, South Africa, just because I have got so many friends, so many 
just amazing experiences that that have been born in that in that city. Met my wife when we were traveling in Greece, and so I have a really nice. special connection to to Greece and our friends there. And I've just been really lucky to to have had a, a lot of international experiences, but really rich in ex- international experiences that are that are long experiences. A lot of people travel, but I've had the opportunity to live in you know, Rio de Janeiro for three months and to live in, you know, South Africa for three months and to live in Greece for three months. And to, and so that really informs the pace of life and the level at which you really get a sense of the culture and the people. That That's amazing. Uh, you make me want to go travel. I'm gonna have to start looking at my Scott's cheap flights when we're done with this, but back to culture. So let's say you're one of our clients and you're sitting there and you got a small team you probably haven't done much to define culture, and you sort of feel like, ah, maybe, maybe our culture is a little subpar, or maybe it's a little stale. What's the first thing you do? What's one thing you would do to to sort of change that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing you need to do if there is that recognition that maybe culture is holding us back, or maybe. We could be so much more if we had a strong culture. I, I think I think that level of honesty, that that level of uh, vulnerability is the first thing. The first step is to bring your team together and to name it. I, I think I firmly believe in naming the problem is the first step to solving it. And so, you know, I, I think that would be in a really important first step is just bringing everybody together and say, look, Here's what I believe, and then starting a conversation. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of leaders want to own the process. They want to go into a dark room. They want to write it down. They want to script it out. They want to define it, and then they want to come back with a finished product and say, "Here's what we're going to do about it. Here's my plan." And and I would I would make the argument that the the culture will be weaker as a result of less eyes, less people being involved in creation, in buy-in, and that process of creating that culture is really important. So I would name it and then I would enlist the, I would enlist your team to say like, who are we and, and who do you want to become? And I think that would be really important. Start working on your relationships. And, and I would really encourage people to, to bring their whole selves to work. I, I think that this is not a baby boomer mentality. But I'll tell you, everyone Gen X and below is a walk-in closet. I mean, you talk to my team and we we start our meetings with highs and lows, which is what is the, the good thing that happened to you this week? What's a tough thing? And creating that space, creating those two minutes for each person to share what to fill that gap of what they believe is important in their lives. And to bring that to work and to make that special and to make that important changes the discussion of what work is and what private is. And you need to kind of bust those barriers down, in my opinion, because we are we are not in a world anymore, even more so post-COVID. But we're not in a space where you sign on, you sign off, you walk in the front door, you walk out the back door. We we're a very, we're a messy world. The, the idea of work-life balance is broken. It's really just like work-life clutter. And, you know, if you walked into my office, it's full of toys from the kids and, 
You know, it's, it's, you know, my kitchen table is full of office things. So I think you just need to, to really, to, to make sure that you're bringing your whole self to work. You're allowing your team to help inform that culture. You're modeling vulnerability and authenticity. And then I would really go back to investing in shared experiences, creating those opportunities to, to bring their whole selves, their 24 hour self into spaces so that you have opportunities to get to know them outside of work. And, and I think that that has meaningful implications for how they think about work, how they feel about work, and then the product and the performance that you're going to gain from those uh, team members. Robbie, when I want to thank you for coming on. Everyone check out Lead Abroad, his company. Give it a look. I was just blown away by the organization and the culture. But I just got to thank you for coming on because you are amazing. And this is not an easy subject to talk about. It's, it's this thing where it's so darn important, but it's also something that's so hard to discuss. You came on here and gave us concrete ideas and tips and definitions. You were terrific. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Costanza Corners next is The Whole Truth. Stick with us. And welcome back. And because I didn't prepare and side did, he's going to lead us off with the Costanza Corner today. What you got, Steve-O? You know, you didn't have to admit that. You just, you could have just let me do it, but you just it's been a, It's to, been a hectic day. You know what? I just yeah. got to get it out there. You sort of shared a thing that Kurt and I sometimes do, which both is prepare and then and then see which is better. And then Play paper, rock, scissors. This segment's about obviously going out on top, things that make us happy, uplifting, et cetera. And few things make me happier than things that give you a little bit of nostalgia. You know, you hear something, you go back to a time in your life, that nostalgia feeling. You know what I'm talking about, Kurt? That's like the theme song from Mario. There do, you, do, 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 you got, do, so you're, yeah. you're going exactly where I'm going. I, I came across this, this really big study. Essentially, they came up with 40 sounds that when you hear them, they make you happy because they trigger some kind of nostalgia. I'll give you a couple of them, and then I'll let you choose just random, like some of the 40, and we'll just kind of read what they are. Number two is waves crashing on the shore. You hear that, you think positive. Uh, a bird song, a crackling of the fireplace. 23, a cork popping. You got to appreciate that. Oh, The sound of a cork yeah. popping. Come on. that's heck that's yeah. That's joyful. Don't even tell me you don't smile. I could be like digging a trench and I hear that. And I'm like, yeah. yeah okay. It's five o'clock somewhere. All right, go ahead. Two more. Let's or maybe 29. Three. 29 is a sports stadium arena. LSU the fight song. Let's there go, go, baby. There you go. You got go it. Tigers. Okay. A couple more. Uh, 36. 36 is fish jumping out of the water. That is a good oh, sound. I, I, I like fishing and it's That's always good plus. when the fish are coming to you. Yeah, there you go. Okay, one more. Seven. Seven. Number seven. I just like is... making you scroll from the top and the bottom of the list. Yeah, a cat purring. Oh, if you're a cat person, that might do something. Yeah, of course. These are good ways. So check it out, goodnewsnetwork.org. You can look through and scroll and find 40 of these things that that will make you happy. And that's Costanza Corner for today. And create a whole playlist of these 40 sounds and you'll be like just eternally happy all the that's time. It. That's it. <laughs> we just gave you the secret to happiness. There it is. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. See ya. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. 
And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.